Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. We tried to get everybody to get, or try to give out notes as you were coming in. Did somebody may have missed those? If you did, if you raise your hand, um, we'll make sure that we get you some notes. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I appreciate that. Um, We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 tonight. Familiar passage to us this evening, Romans chapter 12. This uh, message was actually born out of uh, travel, uh, a travel um, trip, my wife and I, and we had all of our kids we had all of our kids with us, and um, I was driving, and we were reading through the Bible. I was reading through the Bible. What you do on a good trip is you make sure that the kids are good, and you have earbuds if you're driving, and everything is peaceful. Everything is good and calm, um, as a driver at least, and then uh, occasionally I'll pull out an earbud. But as I was listening to the Bible, I came across this passage, and as I came through this passage, I was really um, struck as I've never been struck before. Thankfully, it wasn't another vehicle that hit me, but I was I was impressed, uh, probably be a better word, uh, as, I was, uh, as I was listening to the Bible, so much so that I took out my ear pods as I was listening to this, and I said, I said, kids, I said, we are going to memorize Romans chapter 12. They said, really? I said, yeah, we're going to memorize. In fact, to give you a little bit of an um, incentive, if you memorize, I said, we're going to memorize it no matter what. You may be 21, and before you leave the house, you're going to memorize Romans 12. Before you get up to, you know, marry somebody, I'm going to make sure that, you know, you have at least uh, Romans 12 down. But I said, if you memorize it before the end of the year, I'll give you $25. And so, and so we're working at this as a family, but really was impressed with this passage. Uh, in fact, Sometimes, as, as I was listening, as we were driving in the car, uh, sometimes you can catch um, kids that are in the back that they say things like this. This probably has never happened to you. I think it's probably just a pastor's home, but uh, they'll say stuff like, hey, that was mine. Give it back. And um, this is probably foreign to many of you, but kids sometimes do that, at least our kids. And we're really working through that. We're lurk- we are working through really overcoming difficulties, and sometimes uh, sharing this idea of how a child, um, what a child is supposed to do, a a parent's role, a a spouse's role, sometimes roles can be challenging for us, can't they? They really can. And um, I learned this whenever Charity and I were dating, I was learning the difficulties of what it means to be a good uh, good boyfriend. In fact, we had just gone to uh, St. Augustine, and we were there, her family was there, my family was there, we were all there together in St. Augustine, Florida. There's a place called the Alligator Farm. Have you ever been there, Alligator Farm? Any, got a few of us, okay. There is, um, when you go to the Alligator Farm, you're never going to guess what's there. It's a whole bunch of alligators, okay. And so um, as you go in, there is, uh, we were, the whole day we had spent at the Alligator Farm, and at the end of that day, um, we went out to a Mexican restaurant, and, um, and I'd been asking Char- Charity, I said, what, what would you like for an engagement ring? And she was telling me a few different things. She was, said, like a, you know, I'd like a, you know, a nice ring, you know, um, you know, she gave me a few specifications, and, um, and so what I had done is I had collected a few of those things, and I had them in a box. 
It was in a, about the size of a bracelet box. I had pulled it out at dinner. We were all sitting down there. I said, Charity, I, I need to share something with you. And she said, okay. And I pulled out that box from my pocket. And I said, I, said, I, I want you to open it up. And as she took that box and she opened it up, inside were a few items. Now, I'm going to show you here uh, what a few of the items were. These are, these are uh, stones. Uh, this wasn't, these were rocks. She said, one of the things I'd like is I'd like a rock. And so inside, <laughs> you're catching on. I have a very, very weird sense of humor. And so inside, there was a few rocks, stones like this. And thankfully, I didn't get stoned that night, but, uh, but there was a few other items. She said, you know what, I'd like, I'd like it if my ring had, you know, a if it was a carrot or two, you know, some, some carrot. There was some real-life carrots in there. And um, this story doesn't get any better. And uh, <laughs> after that, there was, uh, she said, I'd like it, my ring to be white gold. And so there was a keychain key or a key ring in there, and it had a little tag on it, and it said white gold. And then the last thing that was in there was a diamond. And I didn't know this, but we were on a trip together as a family, two families, uh, and she said this to me. She said, uh, at this time, I had not proposed. The next day, I did propose, thankfully, because she said this. She said, if you wouldn't have proposed, I would have just dumped you. I would just flat out dumped you. I'm like, well, thank you, Lord. You know, the steps of a good man. And so, uh, so we did, so we, uh, the next day, it kind of really threw her off, which is kind of what I was planning on. I, I tell you that story to say this. As I was learning how to really be a, a, a boyfriend, if, the next day a fiance, um, sometimes in life we really struggle with the role that we have, don't we? Sometimes maybe a parent. But tonight I want to share with you something that was really helped me. And that's this. This is the idea of how to be how to live the Christian life, or how to live like a Christian. Before we get started, let's pray and ask God to bless uh, this evening's uh, message. Lord, I pray, God, that you would bless, Lord, in a powerful way. God, I thank you so much for how that you encourage us, you challenge us from your word, and I pray, God, that you would help this passage be used in a way that would help edify the body of Christ. And Lord, we, we desire to, to make much of you, and I pray, God, that that you would allow us to impact our culture for the cause of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at a little bit of the background at Romans chapter 12, as we jump into Romans 12, after climbing through an enormous theological hill here, Paul shifts from the last 11 chapters. He's talking and giving a foundation of, of what... Um, the doctrine is supposed to be how somebody, um, the understanding of the Christian life, at least in a theological aspect. He shifts gears into Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, he really starts to talk about the basis for our behavior as opposed to the basis of our beliefs. And in, in Romans chapter 12, all the way through the end of the book, so for the next few books, he really starts to talk about how a Christian is supposed to live. And so this, this um, chapter is the very first one that he really uh, concentrates on that. He first talks about doctrine, and then he focuses on duty. If you're familiar with Paul's writings, many times he will really touch the heart of an individual, and then he'll ask for a response this chapter or this book of the Bible is no, uh, is no difference. As we get into Romans chapter 12, notice with me the first two verses. The Bible says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first thing that we understand from this passage as I learn and receive how I'm supposed to live as a Christian, I'll see that my life is going to be surrendered, surrendered to Christ surrender to Christ. A life that is surrendered to Christ will be a fourfold response. It's a fourfold response. The first response we see there in the first, the first verse, and that's this, is a presentation. Did you catch where it was? He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, what's the next thing he says there? Your bodies. He says two words there that we might not be as familiar with. The first one is this. I believe it's, um, it's up here. Let's see here. Beseech. The word beseech means a call, uh, means to call aside. So almost as if you were having a trumpeteer that was going before a king, he was announcing. That's this idea of beseeching. It's a calling to. It's a, hey, I have something very important to share with you. As he beseeches, as he begins to call, he says, he then has this other word, the mercies of God. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I I call to remembrance. I want you to grasp this. This is so important. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This word mercy literally means a tender compassion. This idea of tender compassion is motivated into an action. So this call of action is a motivation to cause somebody to do something. Have you ever been motivated to do something? Maybe it was, it was forcing to do something. Maybe it was in a job situation. But have you ever been motivated by, by love to do something? You've done something that you really didn't care to do. Uh, a few, um, it's probably about a couple months ago, in the middle of the night, our alarm went off. And, and in the middle, it, and first of all, you don't want an alarm to go off. The, the second worst thing is you don't want it to go off in the middle of the night. I can remember, I, I slept right through it. I mean, the alarm's going off, and I'm a pretty heavy sleeper, but, but Charity woke me up, and she says, Neil, I think, somebody's, I think somebody's here. And at this time, as I'm waking up, I'm just kind of sensing where I'm at. Oh, I'm, I'm at home. And my heart begins to pound. And she says, she looks at me and she says, I think somebody's here. And I was motivated by not only fear that day, but I was motivated by love. I didn't necessarily care to go, go down, but I wanted to make sure the house was empty. I can remember another time in my life that I was motivated by love. My dad, we grew up on a four-acre uh, parcel of property at, um, in Florida where, we, where I grew up in Jacksonville. And we, uh, here in, in Las Vegas, you don't have too much of an area of grass, but where I grew up, there was four acres, and nearly all of it was, was grass. And we had a riding lawnmower. And to ride and cut that grass, it would take literally weeks to cut all of that grass. Now, it wasn't, thankfully, it wasn't a push mower. I can't imagine having a push mower and mowing that. We had a riding lawnmower, but um, as we had that riding lawnmower, many times I would start, and just about the time I would finish, I would have to restart. But uh, this, this lawnmower had five speeds. That was really good. Because I didn't drive that thing in speed two or speed three. I put that baby all the way in fifth gear. And I'm riding around, and I would try to get it done as quickly as possible 
so that way I could do what I wanted to do. And on one day, one certain occasion, uh, not only did I have to mow, but I also had to weed eat an edge. But if I could get close to the bushes, the brush, and even the trees, I could take out at least mowing and weed eating all in one shot. But on, on one day, I was getting close to a tree, and as I was getting close to a tree, there's one, one other thing I forgot to tell you. Our mower, we had, we had used the left so much that it hollowed out the gears. So the only way we could turn was right. So we would go in a right circle. So there was this small tree that was about the size of a silver dollar. And what I'm doing is I'm going around and I'm going around in a circle and going around in a circle to get as close as I possibly could to the tree. It's not making sense till just right now how stupid that is and how much time I would have saved if I would just uh, weed-eated it. But I was going around in a circle and going on around in a circle. And, and one of the times that I had gotten close to this tree, I miscalculated it. And instead of getting close to it and trimming it by the tree, the wheel caught onto, uh, caught onto the tree, and the vehicle, the, the lawnmower went one way, the axle went the other way, and it broke that axle. My dad isn't very much of a merciful man, but that day he was. I caught him on a good day, but I want to tell you that I never again did that close to the tree. Why? Because I was motivated by his mercy towards me. Paul says the same thing. He says, I beseech you, me, therefore, by the mercies of God. As we think about God's mercy towards us, we miss out on a lot of God's judgment as a result of him dying to pay for our sins. We miss out on a lot of, of horrible things. We don't have to go to a place called hell to pay for our sins forever. We miss out on that by calling on him and asking him to be our savior. And understanding that alone should give us a great benevolence to be merciful. He says here, Paul says here, that we should... I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. The first area that, to this four-step method of surrender is a presentation. I have to present my body to the Lord. I have to present my body to the Lord. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 um, through 21. He says, and we have, I believe this is in your notes, and he says, we have known and believed the love of God uh, believe the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in him, and God in him. Herein is love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Would you read that next phrase with me? We love him because he first loved us. Isn't that so true? The reason why we love Christ is because his love for us. God says here through, through Paul, he says, he says, I beg you, this is important, that you provide your body as a living sacrifice. Now, as he's talking to the Jewish community here, uh, Jewish believers here at Rome, they would have understood exactly what he was talking about. Their minds would have instantly gone to the Old Testament where there was five 
sacrifices, but that would be a dead sacrifice, but that's not what Paul is insinuating here. He says, we don't offer our bodies. I don't stab myself in the chest and and empty my blood out of my body for the Lord. He says that we are to be a living sacrifice. What does that look like? It looks like this. Whenever I get up in the morning, I get down and I say, Lord, I pray God that you would help me to live for you today. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I pray God that you would guard my tongue. Help me guard my eyes and my feet where I go today. Lord, help me to do what you would have me to do. That is a life that's surrendered to the Lord. Now, not only there is, is there a presentation, but also there is a separation. A presentation, but separation. So Paul says here that there is something that he's calling or beckoning. It starts with an action. Here, Lord, here's my body. But then it shifts to now withdrawing from something. That's something specifically is withdrawing from the world. He says in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. He says here, don't be conformed to this world. That word uh, conformed uh, comes from a word that suchekmatsio, which means to make, to fashion alike. Our kids are, I love our kids. Our kids are so creative. Sometimes I'll never understand why some, they do some of the things that they do. I go to our freezer, and it's like our kids freeze just about everything. I mean, you open the freezer, and there's a brownie. I'm like, why is a brownie frozen? Or there's a half-eaten uh, popsicle that's just there. The other day, I pulled out a cup that had, I said, I said, what is this? I looked at the cup. And it, had, it was filled with water, I could tell, but inside the middle there was this big blob of something. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, what is this? And I go to the kids and I say, all right, kids, what is this? They said, Dad, it's water. I'm like, I know it's water, but what is inside? They said, oh. And they said it like I was supposed to know that what it was and that this was acceptable and okay. They said, it's my gum. I said, what are you doing freezing your gum in the cup? And, and uh, it, I'm just like, I'm amazed. The other day I walked in and uh, there was a Coke, a Coke that was in the freezer that had, that had busted in it. It, it. it began spewing out and it was not in the cup anymore. And um, this idea of conforming literally means to take the shape of. And here Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. You see, the soda that they had left in there, they could have left that in the fridge, and anywhere from cool to 33 degrees would have been fine. But whenever that soda hits 32 degrees, at some point, what happens is it has to go somewhere. When that chemical reaction in those, those protons and atoms and neutrons and whatever's in there, it has to go somewhere and it expands to the point that it literally gets out of the soda. And the idea is this, is that I should not allow the world into my life, but quite the opposite. I should allow myself, I should expel the world out of my life, but I should be involved in the world, impacting the world. He says, don't be conformed, don't take the image of this world. And so the second step that we see to this idea of surrender, it comes in the case of separation. But um, there's some questions to ask ourselves. Maybe in our life, we say, okay, I really don't know. I'm struggling here. There's some questions, I think, that they're in your notes here. Questions to answer 
if I am conforming to Christ or I'm conforming to the world. The reality is there is no middle ground. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm over here today, I'm over here tomorrow, I'm right here, I'm neutral, I'm at home base. No, it doesn't work like that. I'm either, I'm either conforming to Christ or I'm conforming to the world. So let's look at the questions here. The, the first question is this, am I living for myself or for eternity? Which one am I living for? As you think about that question, there is, there is a common theme that we'll see through this. Who am I living for? Number two is, am I sharing my faith or withholding my faith? What am I doing in, in, in life? Am I impacting others for Christ or am I being impacted by the world? Number three is this, am I living to be pleased or am I living to please others? Now, some of these, I know questions are probably, they might be very convicting to us. And it's not the purpose isn't to be convicting. The purpose is assessment. In our life, it's good to have assessments. It's good to see where we are on the line. Am I being conformed by the world or am I being conformed by Christ? Number four is this, are my influences, this is a really challenging one, but are my influences mostly godly-based or worldly-based? In a society in which so much social media impacts everything we do, from listening to buying to selling, everything. It's important that I don't allow those influences to impact my, my life in a negative fashion. Number five is this, where do I spend much of my time? Somebody said this, that you can tell a lot about an individual by looking at their calendar and their bank account. Where do you spend your time and what do you spend your money on? You can tell a lot about an individual Number six is this, what do I draw people, or do I draw people to God or away from God because of my actions? I hope these questions might be a great reflection to us in our life to draw us even closer to Christ in our life. We see, first of all, presentation. Secondly, there's separation. Thirdly, there's transformation. Transformation. The Bible says there in verse number two, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That idea of transformation comes from a Greek word metamorphi. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. So is, that, is that worm crawls into the cocoon or makes a cocoon and then uh, several months later flies out of that. It's changed. That's the same word. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. In my life, there should be a metamorphosis that happens. I should not be the same individual that I was before I accepted Christ. Somebody should be able to examine my life and say, you know, there's something different about this individual, and they should be able to point it out. If somebody were to examine our life, would they be able to see a difference between a believer, our life, and an unbeliever? I hope so. The last way, letter D, is demonstration. The Bible says, uh, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That idea of you may prove what is that good and acceptable, acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to prove we belong to God by doing his will. This idea isn't for God. It's not by God to say, oh yeah, I approve you. You're good, check, check. No, it's for us. It's for us to show our worth and value in Christ. So we see here that Paul argues that these four areas provide some logical response to God's grace. 
He knew that he was, it was a tall request, and that's why he spent 11 chapters in the book of Romans here previously explaining that, but uh, building a foundation for that. But secondly, I want to see not only just a surrender to Christ, we see secondly a service for consistency, a service for consistency. The Bible says here, and for sake of time, I won't read all of this because uh, I want to I really focus on our point number three tonight. Um, each gift, uh, we see here the spiritual gifts. In fact, if you're in a place you say, I don't know what the spiritual gift, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, I want to encourage you to write your name on the connection card. Uh, put, if you put your email address on, the, on the, um, the bottom of that and on the back of that, write spiritual gifts or if you write spiritual gifts on the front and get that to me, I'll make sure that we get you a spiritual gifts test. But as spiritual gifts that are given here in this passage, the Bible says um, in verse, verse number six, the Bible says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. He gives here he outlines each of the spiritual gifts. Let me go over those with you briefly. He says prophecy, if you have prophecy, that's this idea of proclaiming truth. Somebody that just loves sharing truth, hey, we shouldn't do this this way, probably have a very high um, evaluation of prophecy. The second one is ministry, a person that enjoys being behind the scenes. This is the person that's getting everything organized for the event. Probably have a very high, um, uh, they probably have a high uh, ministry assessment. Then there's teaching. This is the idea of breaking down truths and being able to explain in a way that's like, oh, I understand that. Oh, I get that. That's the, the gift of teaching. Uh, number four is the gift of exhortation. That's encouraging words. That's if you've ever been around pastor, after you're talking with him for just a few moments, you feel very uplifted. Why? Because his spiritual gift is exhortation, encouragement. Number five is giving. Uh, sometimes we often think of giving as, as monetary. We think of, of money, but that, it's not necessarily always the case. There's also time and talents in addition to monetary. Number six is a leader or administration. That's somebody that's overseen. And then seven is this idea of mercy, showing compassion. So um, this idea of spiritual gifts. So God tells us, first of all, as a believer, what I am to do is I'm to surrender to God. God, you have everything. You have everything of mine. I am all yours. A, a Christian life, if I desire to live the Christian life, it first starts with surrender. Secondly, it then goes to expending my gifts, using my gifts that God has given to me. But thirdly, is, is actions to symbolize Christ. Actions to symbolize who Christ is. Over the next few um, verses here, um, we see here that there's some great thoughts and truths. These are the truths that really spoke to my heart, and I know that it would be an encouragement to you as well. He says in verse 9, he says this, let love be without dissimulation. That word dissimulation means um, almost as if you're putting on a mask, almost like two, two-faced. You, if you've ever seen a masquerade, people would have a mask, and they're hiding their emotions. They might be laughing under the mask, but you really don't see because it's hidden. This, this idea of love without dissimulation means this. Don't be a, a hypocrite in your love. Don't love somebody because they may look wealthy or 
not love somebody because they don't. No, you should treat people the same. This is the idea of being sincere and genuine. Loving others, don't, uh, don't disguise that. Number 10, or verse number 10, it says, this is love without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. That means having a distaste or having um, a loathing that which is evil. Then the Bible says, cleave to that which is good. Cleave to that, this idea of binding. He then says this, be kindly affectionate one to another. This idea, it talks about this relationship between a parent and a child. If you were to see your child do something, you wouldn't place your child in a physical harm as a result of seeing them. You would love them. You'd be like, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's do this. And God says through, through the apostle Paul here that our love for others should be the exact same way. If I see somebody hurting, I shouldn't laugh at them. I should think of them as a, at, not as a child in the sense of intelligence, but I should have that same love that a dad and a son have or a mom and a daughter have, and I go and I help that individual. So he says there, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. That is placing somebody at a higher pedestal than we are. That's tough, isn't it? Because we, we desire to be first. I desire to be the first out the door. I desire to have the best parking spot. I desire to have the, the, the biggest or whatever. And if we're honest, that's how we all are. But Paul says, don't do that. Put others above you. Let somebody go in front of you. Hold the door for somebody. You see somebody drop something, pick it up and hand it to them. That's how we should be as Christians. He then says this, number 11, verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. So uh, not slothful in business, business, fervent in spirit. So this idea of slothful is this idea of, of lazy. It's this idea of, of careless, putting your life into service for God, whether you receive personal gain or not. And this is challenging. We all want to be recognized. We all want to be uplifted. We all want our boss to say, you did a great job. But I want to share a thought with you. Don't trade your reward in heaven for the applause of men here on this earth. Let me say that again. Don't trade God saying, great job in heaven for the applause of somebody who may say, hey, way to go. Don't trade that. It's not worth it. And sometimes I want somebody to say, hey, great job. And I care for that satisfaction today. But in reality, what's most important is God saying, well done. Great job. Don't trade that. It's not worth it. This word fervor comes from a word which uh, says um, fervent in spirit. This word fervent comes from a word which actually means to bring to a boiler its intensity. This idea of placing a pot on a stove and it begins to, it comes to a boil and it begins to bubble. That's the idea of this fervence, a steadiness, this idea of glowing, uh, persistence. That's the idea of fervence. He says, fervent in spirit. Keep going. Don't give up. Have you ever been in a point when you're like, I'm done, I'm through, I can't do this anymore? Are you serious? It's too much. We need to develop some more fervence. 
This idea of fervence is this idea of a glow, this, this glowing in our life. He then says in verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Let their hope, other people's hope for yourselves and others be a joy to you. Show patience in all of your troubles. Be patient. Be patient in your troubles. Verse 13 says, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. This idea was contributing to others. If you see somebody that, that has a need, that doesn't mean this, that I'm, that I'm taking away from my family to now to give to somebody else. The Bible says that if I am not providing for my family, that I'm worse than an unsaved person. But if you have some stuff to spare, you, ha- you see somebody that comes to work, they don't have a sandwich, you have plenty, why don't you share with them? Hey, I got some stuff I can share with you. The Bible says that we should be giving hospitable. When people look at a Christian, they should see somebody that cares, but also they should see somebody that's hospitable. He then says in verse 14, he says, bless them. This is, it gets tougher here. He says, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. This idea of blessing means to speak well of. Out of all these things, if I'm very transparent with you, this is the hardest one. Somebody's come up to me and they've just yelled at me and they've given me a, they've, they've told me horrible things, what I did. It's difficult to say, thank you, isn't it? I really appreciate that. You know, you're right. I didn't see that, but you're exactly right. But the Bible says, bless them you know what, I really appreciate that you said that about me. I needed that. I really needed that. Thank you for sharing that with me. It's not easy. It's difficult. This is probably the the most challenging one for me. The Bible says 15, rejoice with them that rejoice. So identify with others. Treat others' needs or victories as your own. He says two things in this passage. First of all, he says rejoice with them that rejoice. Then he says weep with them that weep. Now my spiritual gift is mercy. I have no problems at all. When somebody goes through a difficulty, man, I'm so sorry. I, that is, that's tough. But, but the, the challenging one sometimes is if something good happens, I didn't get anything good, but to rejoice with those that rejoice. And I, over the past several years, God has really burdened my heart for this one. Somebody told me the other day, actually it was on Sunday, they said, um, at, at one of the connection classes, they said, guess what? I'm going to go to Israel. And I said, that is so awesome. Somebody told me a week ago, they said, I get to do this. And I said, great job, way to go. And you know what that does? Not only does that make them feel good, it makes me feel good. You know why? Because I'm doing what God would have me to do. I'm living the Christian life. He says, don't return evil for evil. Identify with others. Verse uh, 16 says, Uh, Verse 16 says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but consent to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. He says, be of the same mind one toward another. He says, if one person's thinking something, he says, don't. He says, you be consistent with what you do. Then he says, um, mind not high things. I shouldn't strive for in life to, to make money unlawfully or to, uh, to be a, ma- a man of great power. I shouldn't live for that. Then he says, um, but, but condescend to men of low estate. I don't treat people differently that are of lower estate, that may not have what I have. 
You treat people equally. You treat people kind, and you're generous to people. Don't shun the poor with, with courting men. And then in verse 17, he says, um, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And so treat everyone with respect. Treat everyone with respect. Verse 18 says this, if it be possible, as much as lieth within you, you've done all of these things. You've been kind, you've loved people, you've said good, you've respected people. It says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. He says, you've done all that, you still can't get along with somebody, just don't be around them. It's okay, don't live with them. Now, that's not talking about a spouse or, or you know, somebody that you live with, but, um, but it is talking about somebody that uh, you're around. Now, then in verses 19 through 21, he takes a bit of a shift and he says this, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, saith, uh, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Then he says this, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The way that you overcome difficulties, if somebody's being mean, is you just be good to them. You just be good to them. True revenge true revenge does not come from me. You, you give that to God. God will take care of that in his time, but you don't worry about it. You don't keep an eye. You don't, you don't stalk them on Facebook. Nothing's happened yet. God, you get them. No, you don't do that. You give it to God and you say, Lord, I, I'm going to be good to this individual. The best way that I can say a story from this was a, a man by the name of Edwin Stanton. Edwin Stanton, if you know history, Edwin Stanton was a man who was a lawyer, but also this man was a politician. And he, if, uh, as you know history, he was somebody who was Abraham Lincoln's arch critic. He was somebody who, if Abraham Lincoln said something, he was so fast to say something quick and wrong of what Abraham Lincoln had done. When Abraham Lincoln got elected, he placed uh, Edward Stanton as the Secretary of War. And he said, the reason why is because he says, I need a man that will take care of business, and I believe that this is the man that will do this. Now, these two men are arch rivals, yet he puts a man there because he recognizes and realizes his strengths. He then, on Lincoln's deathbed, I want to share with you what this man, who was a huge critic, an arch critic of Abraham Lincoln, says. He says, there lies the most perfect ruler of men this world has ever seen. When you and I treat people who are completely against God with kindness, there is nothing else but to say but good things. It's not because of me, but it's the individual that lies within me, Jesus Christ. There's a, uh, there's a poem um, that says, the fairest action of our human life is the scoring to revenge and injury. We want to fight back, but for, for who... For who forgives with a further strife, his adversary's heart to him doth, doth tie. And tis a former conquest truly said, to win the heart than to overthrow the head. So important, much more important to win the heart of an individual than to win an argument of an individual. 
The Bible says, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If you give him thirst, give him to drink, for in doing so thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. I want to explain this passage and share one uh, final closing remark, uh, and our time will be done. This idea of heaping coals of fire is not asking God that God's going to bring judgment or fire upon the individual's head. But what this idea of but what this idea, uh, the Bible says, for in doing so thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. This idea of showing others love, showing others goodness, people that oppose us, people that want to hurt us or harm us, by being good to those individuals, what ends up happening in turn is every time they see you, what they're reminded of is the good things that you've done. And what this does for that individual, psychologically, it drives them nuts because you're kind to them when they have hurt you and abused you. Maybe they've done wrong to you. And in their mind, they are constantly roaring as if there were coals of fire upon their head that is ultimately bringing them damage in their life as a result of your kindness to them. He sums up the passage and he says, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, that's the ultimate way that a Christian life is lived. Somebody's hurt you, you be good to them. I know it's tough. I know it's challenging. But that's how the Christian lives. How many of you would be familiar with the, the biological term laminin? Would anybody be? There probably would be a few, I guess, some medical professionals. There's a few in here. Laminin is a very interesting concept within the human body. In fact, this is how it's spelled. Uh, I believe this is, this is how it's spelled right here, laminin. Laminin is, is a very microscopic object within the body. In fact, its job is to literally tie together proteins. Uh, these proteins that are bound together, uh, they serve many, many functions within biology. The important property of laminins is their ability to easily bind to each other and to proteins. If somebody has a deficiency with laminin, it would, it would be very evident by multi, multi, uh, multiple sclerosis or a lethal skin blistering disease. But these, these items that bind together, in fact, it's been said that it's almost at its, as adhesive as what glue is, very sticky glue. Now, it, does, it has a different chemical chain. It's a different reaction. But if you were to look at this, this is what... Um, this is what laminin looks like. Laminin looks like this, and within my body, my muscles and tissues are literally held together by this property called laminin. You can notice there is the bottom as it's twisted and tied together. In fact, if you were to look under the microscope at what laminin actually looks like, it would look like this. This is laminin. Laminin, as you, as you notice this, it has a very interesting similarity. In fact, as you look at it, it almost looks as if that's a cross, doesn't it? As I was studying for this message, there was a passage that came to mind. And the passage is in Colossians. The Bible says this. In Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him, all things 
consist. As that laminin literally holds your body and my body and organs together, it literally shows others, though it may not necessarily represent the cross, it shows, it personifies that. Now, somebody may not necessarily see it holding together in my life. They may not see the laminin that's held together, the proteins and the the tissue and the organ all together. But I got to tell you this, whenever I'm the friend that I should be, Whenever I am the individual who has been hurt, who has been harmed, who has been done wrong to, and I show that individual the love of Jesus Christ, the beautiful love that protrudes out of my body, they can't help but see the same sacrificial love that sent Jesus to a cross. And you ask me this evening, you say, how does a Christian live their life? They live it by sacrifice, surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. They live their life by exercising their gifts, but also they use it by the acts of service that they provide to others. Tonight, maybe there's an area of our life that we need to surrender. Maybe, there's, maybe we just need to start using the gifts that God has given to us. Or maybe you would say, you know, I need to look at that list And I need to start taking that next level with my walk with the Lord because there's a world that needs to hear about Jesus. Would you join me as we pray together, Lord? I pray, God, that you would use us in a powerful way. Lord, as we bear the cross, may others be reminded of your goodness in our life as a result of our actions to others. Lord, sometimes it's difficult. And to be quite honest, I know sometimes it's hard. But God, I think of how that you looked upon people and you cared so much for them, even on the cross. You said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And God, you saw the heart of individuals. And I pray, God, you had compassion. Lord, may our lives reflect that of you, of having compassion for others. God, I pray that you would help us to show the world you, God, our world needs to see the love of Jesus Christ. And may that flow through our lives, at our workplace, in our home, in, uh, in the store. Lord God, as we're out, may people recognize the difference with us. That difference is you. And Lord, I pray that you bless our time of invitation. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.